the energy. We walked around for 35 minutes just in the parking lot looking for this car. The passion. UVM schedules the way they do to get as high a seed as possible in the NCAA tournament and to get as much tournament prep as they can because they're not going to get it from their league. The opinions on all your favorite teams. The organization should be taking care of Matt rather than Matt taking care of the organization. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Friday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Norwich Hockey tonight at 635 against Johnson and Wales. So that's when we're out of here today. So just over an hour to get to a whole lot of stuff I want to get to. Six-pack of NFL questions in the 6 o'clock hour. Some stuff on the Celtics. Really didn't love something Jason Tatum said recently. We'll get to that. We got Phil Perry, Pat's Insider, NBC Sports Boston, with us in about 15 minutes. So you know the text line number by now, don't you? Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The reason why I go quick through the intro, one, we have a shorter show today, but two, there's a very serious story I want to start off the show with, and I'm going to need some time to frame what the story is and to take your feedback. So I really do want you to be engaged on this story. And look, I didn't talk a lot about Kyrie Irving over the last week or so, and that's for two reasons. One, you could get that conversation anywhere because that conversation was everywhere. And two, because Kyrie Irving is not anymore on a team that we cover. And I have always, no matter what the story is, tended to gravitate to things that are local or regional. And in this case, Kyrie didn't do that. Now we have a story like that in our backyard with our team. So I'm going to give you the overarching thought of the topic for me. And then we'll get into the backstory of it all. Today, the Boston Bruins gave a 20-year-old kid by the name of Mitchell Miller an NHL contract. And I am telling you that they shouldn't have done that. So my position is clear. Mitchell Miller, 20 years old, should not have gotten the contract from the Boston Bruins. And I will be honest with you. This story is was relatively new to me. It may be completely new to you. I want to go bit by bit with it. I am not a hockey expert. I am not a Mitchell Miller expert. I had heard of him before today, but he had been out of sight, out of mind for the last two plus years to me. So I, I am creating my thoughts here based on a lot of research done in the last few hours. Again, I am not an expert on Mitchell Miller or the NHL, but I bring you this story because it's important. Mitchell Miller is a very, very good hockey player. A couple of years ago, he was thought of as a first-round talent in the NHL draft. He ended up falling to the third round in the NHL draft. He got picked by Arizona. Arizona then rescinded his rights. He also lost his scholarship to the University of North Dakota, one of the best hockey schools in the entire country. So the question you're wondering in your car right now is, well, why did he lose these things? Why did Arizona rescind his draft rights? Why did, why did he lose his scholarship? Well, Mitchell Miller is a guy that at the age of 14, when he was in eighth grade, the age of 14, was taken to some kind of juvenile court 
over racist and bullying behavior. Mitchell Miller and another student at his junior high school in Ohio racially abused and bullied a black student with mental disabilities. And the black student with mental disabilities had the mental capacity of a 10-year-old a few years younger than what he actually was and a few years younger than what Mitchell Miller was. The reports, I read them, they're pretty damning, they're pretty gross. Calling the student the N-word, tricking this developmentally challenged student into licking a lollipop that had been rubbed on a urinal. That is something that Mitchell Miller at 14 did to this kid, right? Did to this student, did to this classmate with mental disabilities. Rubbed a lollipop on a urinal and then had him lick it at a, at a school basketball game. He was taken to some kind of juvenile court over this and sentenced to 25 hours of community service with special needs kids, along with the requirement that he participated in counseling and gave an apology. When all of this came out, that is when the stuff hit the fan for him, right? He lost his, that's when he lost this stuff hockey-wise, right? So he got, he lost his scholarship. He didn't get he got renounced by the uh, the Coyotes who drafted him. Well, he eventually turned up in the USHL, some other hockey league, and won player of the year. And today, the Boston Bruins signed him. And they've already gotten a ton of backlash from hockey reporters and hockey fans who know this story better than me. For a little more context, the Bruins put out a statement, and they were immediately on the defensive about this. Miller was part of that statement. He called this whole thing I just told you a bullying incident. The Bruins called it essentially, I'm paraphrasing, they called it essentially a one-time mistake, despite the parents of the victim saying that this kind of behavior happened repeatedly all the way back until the victim was in second grade. So the Bruins said this was a one-time thing, essentially. The victim's parent has repeatedly said, no, 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 this happened for a several-year stretch. The family also says that Mitchell Miller has never apologized to the victim. The judge said when he was 14 that Mitchell Miller didn't get it, and basically he was only sorry because it impacted him in a negative way. Miller reportedly laughed at school administrators who questioned him about the lollipop incident because he allegedly thought it was funny. So that is the story. And again, I do not claim to be an expert, right? Kyrie Irving, I've got six years worth, 10 years worth of, of information on him to have an opinion. I don't know Mitchell Miller at all. I've never seen him play. I only know his story a little bit, and I've dug back into it today. So I'm not coming from a place of expertise on this. But I continue to come back to this thought. The Boston Bruins should not have signed him. And the reason for me is that Mitchell Miller has had chances over the last several years to show that he's grown, to show that he has changed, and to show that he has improved as a person. And he apparently hasn't done that stuff. And that, for me, is enough to not want or need him in my organization. I want to say this very clearly. I do not believe that things that kids do at age 14 should necessarily hold them back forever or ruin their entire lives. I do not believe that. I do believe that kids are dumb. I do believe that kids can be taught things at home and not necessarily know what they're doing is wrong. 
I believe that they can grow out of those learned behaviors. I believe that a person can grow. I believe a person can evolve. I don't love seeing mistakes that somebody made in middle school ruining a kid's life forever. That said, Mitchell Miller has evidently, based on what I have seen today and read and heard, has not done anything to show that he has changed. He has not done anything to show that he has learned. It feels like he has done the bare minimum every step of the way just to protect himself and his hockey career, and that is not enough. I understand at age 15, 16, 17, you are a little more limited in the people you know, the places you can go, where you can get to. I understand that. But if over the last six years, Mitchell Miller had proof that he worked constantly and repetitively with disabled individuals, I could maybe believe that he has changed. If he had proof that he constantly and repetitively had worked with you know, racial awareness groups or equity groups or diversity groups, then maybe I could believe him. If at 20 years old, his statement to the Bruins and to the fan or from the Bruins to the fans today said, I plan on volunteering with this group or that group. and I plan on doing it weekly. That would be different. He told the media today in Providence, where he is with the Bruins, that he wants to make a difference in the community. Great. How? How? I do believe that people can change from when they were kids. I do believe people can get better. I believe people can mature. I believe people can grow up. But you've had six years to atone for this mistake. The parent of the victim says you've still never apologized. They said you basically you gave one half-hearted apology that you were court-mandated to give, and that was it. So if that is all you, if, if all you've ever done is the bare minimum over six years, then I am not taking a chance on you. I am not taking a chance on you. This is the organization that in the Boston Bruins that has somebody as stand up as Patrice Bergeron. One of the NHL's true good guys. I don't know why you'd want to be associated with somebody like this in Mitchell Miller. I'm disappointed in the bees. The bees never once called the victim's family. Teams always say, oh, we're doing our due diligence. You're not doing due diligence if you don't call the victim's family. The player has never apologized to the victim. This is not a good job by the Bruins. This is not a good job by Mitchell Miller as a human. I believe people can change, but it appears to me that he hasn't. In Brady Farkas's world, you can come back from screw-ups. You are allowed to better yourself. But it takes real, tangible work to do that, and it doesn't appear that that work has been put in, so therefore I am out. I am out on this move. And if you really want to look at this from a really callous, only sports perspective, which I don't, I deliberately didn't mention it, hockey at all in the last 10 minutes, but Antonio Brown and Kyrie Irving, they get chances because people know they are good. Mitchell Miller is a lottery ticket at this point. So I, I don't ever condone it, but a team, can t a team will take a risk on a guy who's a known commodity. Taking a risk on a guy who's a total lottery ticket for you that, to me, that's just bad form, right? I wouldn't have gone after Deshaun Watson if I were the Cleveland Browns. But at least Deshaun Watson is a known commodity, again, if you're only looking at it sports-wise. Mitchell Miller is not a known commodity to me. It wasn't worth it on any level. He doesn't seem to get it.
Right. Do you remember a couple of years ago for the Reds, the broadcaster, Tom Brenneman, he used a homophobic slur in what he thought was a commercial break. It went over the air. Obviously, it's not appropriate to use the slur whenever, but it went over the air and he got fired. Well, Tom Brenneman has essentially been been banned from doing major athletic broadcasting since then for the last several years. And I read a story about him recently. I don't know Tom Brenneman. I have no skin in this game, in this game, but read a story about how he is working constantly with LGBTQ plus groups and that they now consider him an ally. And there were people in those groups quoted in this story saying, you know what? We do believe this was a mistake. He has, he has done enough to prove that he's not out for his own benefit. He has put in too much time for it to only be about himself. Mitchell Miller hasn't done any of that. And again, at 18, you don't have access to certain things. I can understand that, but you've literally done nothing. And therefore I don't need you. And I don't need the Bruins to have done this. 802-585-3026. Texter says, spot on. Thank you, Brady. Well, thank you very much. If you have any other thoughts on that, let me know. 802-585-3026. This is one that is open for conversation. Right? And so often, I, I like to think, and there are times certainly where I'm wrong, but I like to think that I'm relatively educated and a relative expert on various things we talk about, right? UVM basketball, I'm pretty confident I know what I'm talking about. Patriots, I'm pretty confident I know what I'm talking about. Red Sox, I'm pretty confident I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know Mitchell Miller, and I'm not an expert on him, and I don't know. And my opinion comes based on six hours worth of research and what I knew about him in the past, and I acknowledge that. Right? This is more of an emotional response by me than it is me being an expert. But I just believe the Bruins did not need to do this. This kid, who is now a man, has had six years to atone for those mistakes. And again, it's not a one-time deal like the Bruins say it is. They're trying to whitewash it away and say, oh, it's a one-time thing. Well, the kid's family doesn't think it was a one-time thing. They think it went on for years, and they think you caused him mental and, and physical harm. An emotional and physical harm. I'm not down with that. And you haven't done anything to prove that you've changed. And think about it. And this will stick with me, too. The judge at the juvenile court told Mitchell Miller, you acted like this at school, on school property. If that is how you act at school, how do you act when you're in private? And that's not something I really want to think about either. Because the answer likely wasn't at the time particularly good and right now i have no idea i can give people second chances for when they screwed up or when they did dumb things as a kid but you've had six years to prove you're something different and to prove you're something better and you haven't done anything evidently you've only done things for the beneficiary or for the benefit of your own hockey career it's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. All right, I do want to transition. we got a lot to get to. It is a football talk Friday. You can continue to get on that topic again at the uh, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. I want to get to Phil Perry, our Pats insider from NBC Sports Boston. Again, it is a football talk Friday, and the Patriots are taking on the Colts. It's another football Friday and another look at your New England Patriots. And I will put it at the feet of Mac Jones. I mean, you get, you get the credit when everything's going well. First third down of the game, first drive of the game, you throw it right to the other team. Seven points going the other way. With all the info from Patriots Place, 
It's Pat's insider, Phil Perry. No, it's not that I think less of him. I think the fact that I am high on him leads to the honest criticism of him. I know he's better than the way he's played on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Yep, Patriots taking on the Colts this weekend at Gillette. I'm going to be there, and uh, Pats are 4-4, four and four, looking to get to 5-4 and four as they take on the Sam Ellinger-led Colts now. Again, Matt Ryan benched in Indianapolis. So joining us now is our Pats insider over at NBC Sports Boston, Phil Perry. Phil, another Friday. How are you? I'm doing great, Brady. I'm excited to be at Gillette this weekend. I think the weather's going to be impeccable. I think this could be a, a fun game. It's not as juicy as the old Patriots-Colts matchup, but I think this still could be a fun one. Well, I was going to ask you about that. Now, look, I don't know if it's the fact that we've had the World Series this week, Ime Udoka stuff, Kyrie stuff. We've got UVM hoops starting. It's all the injuries, but like I can't remember a time where a playoff-relevant Patriots team hasn't been able to cut through all of that other stuff, and I feel like that's been the case this week. Do you think there's a lot of – is there a lot of buzz for this game where you're sitting? No, there's not, and I think maybe you're right. Maybe it's the Celtics are stealing some of that juice, and maybe it's just that, you know, people look at this Colts team and they say, ah, I mean, are we really going to learn a lot about the Patriots this week, which I think is kind of fair. You know, the Colts are tanking, Brady. Let's just call it what it is. They're not playing Matt Ryan right now because of his salary. He would be guaranteed if he's healthy enough to pass a physical this coming March and the Colts had him on the roster, he would be guaranteed 17 additional million dollars on top of the 12 that he's already been fully guaranteed for next year. So they're paying him 12 no matter what. The only reason they're not playing him right now is because if he got hurt and he couldn't pass that physical in March, they'd owe him an additional 17.2. So this is a team that's playing for its next quarterback. They know they don't have the guy on the roster right now. Maybe Sam Ellinger loops in and steals that job moving forward. But this is a team that's playing a six-round pick at quarterback that's not very good right now and that, in all honesty, is, is really playing for next year. So the Patriots should win this game. And the only way you really learn anything about the Patriots this week is if they lose it. So I think that could be at play here, too, in terms of how the fans are viewing this game and the the juice around it. Ellinger is going to start a quarterback, as you mentioned. He's a second-year quarterback from that class of 2021 out of Texas. You do a ton of work with the draft. What what was your impression of Ellinger coming out? I actually really liked Ellinger. And in terms of what the Patriots have drafted in the past, he checked a lot of boxes. If not for his height, and he's undersized, and he's just a shade over six feet, If not for that, he would have checked just about every box that the Patriots generally draft at that position when it came to his statistical production in college at that position, his experience level. You know, the Patriots have, generally speaking, at the quarterback spot, only drafted guys that have spent at least four years in college. So he checked that box as well. He was a leader. He's Everything you heard about him in terms of his character was that teammates rallied around him. I remember the comps that I heard at the time from people in the league was in terms of the intangible stuff and even in terms of some of the tangible stuff in terms of being a thickly built guy who could run the football with some power you heard a lot of tim tebow comparisons Mm. now the reason i like him better than tebow honestly is he can throw it a lot more cleanly than tebow can if you just watch him even throwing on the move he's got some torque to him he has some ability to put some zip on the football that tebow just didn't have 
I would say, especially on the move. He's a pretty good athlete, Ellinger is. Again, not just as a runner, but making throws outside the pocket, too. So I like him, but he is limited. He's not the most accurate guy in the world. He is short. I think it's going to be hard for him to succeed on third down long-term here. But I think they found a, an interesting backup in Ellinger in the sixth round there, which is really all you'd ask for, and, and you know, that with that kind of investment. It came down a couple hours before the show started. Jonathan Taylor is going to be out for the Colts. He's obviously the Colts' best offensive player, led the league in rushing last year, I believe. Without him, what do you expect out of this new Colts run game because they traded Naheem Himes also to Buffalo? Yeah, it's going to be a mess for them. I mean, again, there's a, there's a tanking team. <laughs> you know, they, they dealt Naheem Himes. They benched Matt Ryan for money reasons. So... The, the issue for them is that their offensive line, Brady, has been sneaky bad. You know, I think people look at Quentin Nelson and they say, man, one of the best guards in football, right? Top 10 overall pick a couple of years ago. This guy's a real stud. He can carry you. And he can't. He, he's one of five. That is a weak link system on the offensive line for any team. And they are so talent deficient at some of their other spots that they are now 29th in the NFL in terms of yards per carry. And then the pass protection hasn't been much better. They're 28th in terms of their pass blocking grade, according to Pro Football Focus. So the line has been a real disappointment. And so whether Jonathan Taylor, who's not the same guy either this year because he's been injured, is yards after contact. You know, reminder, Stevenson's been great in that regard, but Taylor was great in that regard last year. His yak this year, when he's been on the field, has been down 40%. So he's not the same. The offensive line's not quite the same. You add it all up, this offense is really not impressive. It's another reason why the Patriots, they really have no excuse to lose this game. Phil Perry, Pat's insider, NBC Sports Boston, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM. You know, in the past, Bill Belichick goes up against a young and inexperienced quarterback, and Tom Brady's there for New England. The Pats win this game 45-9, to 38-10, something like that. But I was very unimpressed with what I saw offensively on Sunday against the Jets. I don't know that the Pats right now have that in them. Like, for some reason, I think this game is going to be closer than it should. Do you think they have the 38-10 in them? Are we going to be seeing 17-14 at the end? I think it could be the latter, Brady. I just the, the, And the reason I say that is because of the Colts' defensive front and the Patriots and what they're dealing with on the offensive line right now. It's a mess. And it's been a mess even when they've been healthy. So now you're down Marcus Cannon probably because of the concussion. You're probably down David Andrews because of the concussion. And so what are you supposed to do? I think you try to get the football out quickly, which they did a decent job of against the Jets incorporating that RPO game, which we really hadn't seen much of before this past weekend. And so good for them on that front. Hopefully they can continue to diversify that package. But I don't think you're going to be able to run the ball real well. The Colts are one of the best run defenses in football. And I don't think you're going to be able to hold on to it very long in the pocket if you're Mac Jones. So offensively, it could end up, again, just like last week, looking like a slog. You know, I was listening to you and Burt Breer earlier this week, and we had some of this conversation as well. A lot of talk about identity for the Patriots. And to me, somewhere the Pats went wrong. And I'm going to run my theories by you. Like last year, they had a discernible identity. And they either wrongly chose to kind of strip that down and change. That could be the problem. Or they forged a new identity and just bailed on it way too quickly. Like they didn't give it time to actually work. Which issue is it? I think it could be both. And I think the moving pieces on the offensive line hurt them in that regard in terms of being able to find their offensive identity too. It's just that they 
haven't been healthy enough up there, and they've had pieces in and out up there, that I don't know how you generate much consistency. Um, I, I don't know what you do in order to make sure that you're figuring that out as a coaching staff. Okay, this is what we do well. This is what we don't do well. Well, you've been, you know, the offensive line, again, the pieces are all over the place. The quarterback missed a month. So, you know, I think they, you know, the coaching staff has some excuses as far as that goes, Brady, that are legitimate. But I just look at big picture identity. Like, what are they as a team right now? They want to be smart, tough, dependable. I don't know if they're any of those things. They, they lead the league in turnovers. They're among the league leaders in penalties. So smart, I'm not sure how you could call them smart relative to the rest of the NFL. Tough, okay, how do they define that? It's usually run the ball, stop the run, cover kicks. They've got right now the worst punt net in football. They don't run it real well. They're 22nd in yards per carry, and, they, and they're sort of middle of the pack in terms of stopping the run. Are they dependable? I, I don't know. They're, they're bottom of the league in red zone and uh, – third down they're 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 a middle tier team too and then like schematically like i don't know how you could say that anything that they do is dependable on a week-to-week basis so i just i just think they're looking for answers still right now which is a little bit of a scary place to be halfway through the season. phil i'll get you out of here on this one can you win the identity conversation because like i, I do like when a team has an identity and you know what is a given in any given week but i'm old enough to remember a titans team running everything through Derrick Henry and then getting bounced in their first playoff game. It seems like like you can build to an identity, but then that identity can become easily exposed. Can you can you win? Like can you win that identity conversation? I think it can help you lean on one or two things on a week to week basis and know that you'll have some success. Uh, right now they're they're lacking even as far as that goes. Now can you build everything on a run game the way the Titans did? I, like, you have to be able to throw it at some point. You have to be able to throw a third down without the play action at some point. And so that's, I think, where they run into issues. Um, the Patriots, I think, would be pretty well served to be able to say, well, at least we can look at Ramondre Stevenson and the offensive line and our play action pass game all in conjunction together and say, on first and second down, we feel pretty good about our odds. And then third down, we're going to have to scrap it together on a week-to-week basis. Uh, you know, the Patriots, Brady, they might listen to this entire conversation and say, well, what do you mean identity? Our identity is that we don't have one, especially yeah. offensively. We're a game plan team. But that's not really true. You know, in 07, we knew what they were. They had an identity. In 18, we knew what they were. They were a punch-in-the-face kind of offense. They could rely on that when games mattered week to week down the stretch that year. Uh, they can still be a game plan team and still have a core identity foundationally and i that is certainly still lacking for them phil i'm going to the game on sunday i'm looking forward to it my second trip to gillette in as many years any food recommendations for dinner tomorrow night oh boy not dinner tomorrow night but i would say if you're driving down route one and you're looking to pack a lunch i don't know if that's what you're doing if you're planning on grilling that's fine see scott's on route one Right off, right off of 95. East Dots, it's next to the Dunkin' Donuts, right off 95. Phenomenal chicken salad. If you're a chicken salad fan, I know there's some people out there who say mayo. No, thank you. Not for me. The best chicken salad sandwich you'll ever have is there on East Dots on Route 1. So make sure you hit them up. Noted. Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, Pat's Insider, pregame live on NBC Sports Boston, Sunday at noon. Our coverage uh, of the game always here on DEV as well. Phil, appreciate you. 
All right, Brady. Anytime, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston. C. Scott's Beer, Wine, and Deli. Is that right? C. Yeah, C. Scott's Beer, Wine, and Deli. That, that looks like the kind of place he's telling me about. I'll have to do a little more research. I'm probably not going to get that, though. It does have it. Yeah, I think that's it. I'm not going to get it, not because I don't like chicken salad, but because I'm taking the train, and Phil doesn't know that, so I'm limited. I can't. I'm not driving into the game, so I can't stop off there on uh, on Route One. But uh, I will be going to the game. I'm pumped for that. Texter says, "Enjoy the game with the future misses. Hope you are better. We will enjoy the game. I, I do appear better today. It's actually pretty amazing. Like I said, one of our great listeners gave me a bunch of stuff." To help my leg feel better, I've been wearing it constantly. I've been using the walking boot with the blow with the blow, piped in cold air. I, I am walking today. I would say at about eighty percent walking. I cannot run. I cannot jump. So my ability to potentially play in the men's league hoops playoffs next Thursday were still listed as questionable. But in terms of my ability to get off the train and walk to Fox, you know, walk to the stadium, I'm feeling a lot better about that that I'll be able to do that on Sunday. I want to hit a couple of things that Phil said. Then I want to uh, get to our six-pack of NFL questions. So Phil said something there that was very, very interesting to me. I'm going to go back to it quick. We're going to do the CBS News update. Then we'll be back. We'll look at what Phil said. We'll do our six-pack of NFL questions. Reminder, Norwich Hockey comes up at 635. Cadets take it on Johnson and Wales. Cadets already 1-0. and oh, Looking to get out to 2-0. All right, we'll be right back at it after CBS News here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, and always streaming on the free WDEV radio app at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We go up until about 6.30, Norwich Hockey is a half hour from now. Our coverage begins at 6.35. Lee Cattell and company are in Providence right now as the cadets get ready to try to move to 2-0 tonight, taking on Johnson and Wales. I want to thank Phil Perry, our Pats insider from NBC Sports Boston. He was just with us a little while ago. That full interview available on our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. And I got to say, what a dovetail off something that Phil and I were talking about. <clears throat> because to me... This week epitomizes kind of what's wrong with the Patriots and where they're at as a franchise right now. Like, let me ask you honestly, are you excited for this game on Sunday? Like, honest question, are you excited right now for the Patriots? The Patriots are 4-4, four and four, the Colts are 3-4-1. and one. This is not two 1-7 teams. Are you excited? Because I got to be honest, to me, this game has little to no buzz. Now, I am personally going to the game, so I am excited about it. I can't wait to watch. But generally, this game feels, and Phil confirmed, it feels like it has no buzz. I mean, Robert Mays, who's an NFL writer at The Athletic, he was tweeting out the schedule of early games this week. He forgot the Patriots and Colts entirely. Like, just he tweeted out all the games. Forgot Pats and Colts was even on the schedule. I feel like that's most people this week, and that is a problem. The Patriots are playoff relevant. They have a chance to get to 5-4, and four, a chance to get back over 500 this week. And we and everybody else seems like they haven't spent any time talking about them. 
that's an issue to me. Pat's Colts used to be must-watch, can't-miss stuff, and now it feels like this game on Sunday has the same cachet as Jags Raiders on the NFL schedule. Now, the World Series, the Ime Udoka stuff, Kyrie Irving, UVM hoops, we've had a lot of other things happening this, this week, but the Patriots haven't been able to cut through all that. I don't remember many times in my career in this business, we're talking about eight and a half years, I can't remember many times where a playoff-relevant football team couldn't cut through any other headline that was going on. And that's been the case for the Patriots this week. That has been the case for the Patriots this week. This game has just felt like an afterthought. Now, injuries I know are a part of it, right? The Patriots are going to be severely compromised. No David Andrews, no Marcus Cannon, no Devontae Parker, maybe no Kyle Duggar. Maybe no Damian Harris. So the Pats are injured. I'm sure that is part of the lack of the lack of cachet. The Colts are missing Jonathan Taylor. They've got a backup quarterback that a lot of people have never heard of. So I do think that stuff is part of it. But I also think it points to a bigger problem with the Patriots right now. As we sit here today, November 4th, the Patriots are boring. And the Patriots are average. And a few weeks ago... I defended them from that very same claim. A few weeks ago, Colin Cowherd of Fox Sports Radio said the Patriots were boring. But a few weeks ago, they weren't boring to me, right? Bill Belichick versus Mac Jones versus Bailey Zappi. That stuff was all interesting. But now that that drama is done for now, the Pats do feel a little boring. And this is, an, a, a, this is a more prevailing issue with the organization. They are just increasingly average. And that, to me, is a problem. Like, the Pats with Tom Brady were always kind of boring, but they won so much you didn't care. Now, the Patriots with Cam Newton were interesting, but they weren't very good. You can't have that be the, the only thing either. you got to be a little bit of both, and right now the Patriots appear to be neither. Now, trust me, when Monday comes, we're going to talk about the game. We're going to do our takeaways. I know you all care. We all care about the final result. But the lead-up to the game, it just hasn't been there this week. It just hasn't been there this week. Texter says this is a trap game like Chicago. Why? Because the bye is coming next week, I believe. No, they're uh, playing the Jets next week, right? Yes, I, I got to look it up. Patriots schedule. Let's see here. Uh, I believe they're playing the Jets again next week. No, no, they're on the bye next week and then the Jets. My so when Zach Wilson said we'll see those guys in two weeks, he really meant three. Wait, yeah, he really meant three weeks. So that's why he got me all screwed up on so yeah trap game with the buy coming i don't know i don't think so i i do believe in trap games i believe in them less for the patriots though i just think that phil i think phil hit it on that you can't learn much about the patriots this week and i think that also contributes to it right we know the colts aren't very good their head coach might get fired they fired their offensive coordinator their best player is out their longtime quarterback is benched the, the Colts, we know, are not very good. The Patriots should win this game. Right? The Pats should win this game. And if they do win it, I don't know that we're going to be able to say we learned anything about them. Like, if they intercept Sam Ellinger three times and have short fields, are we really going to be able to say, like, hey, Mac Jones made great strides on offense when he executed this 7-9 and 12-yard drive? I, I don't know. If you lose this game, then Phil's right. Then we'll have a field day on Monday. We will we will learn a lot. But if they win, it kind of just feels like a game that you're supposed to win 
and that's it. Texter says, I'm not excited, but I am interested in seeing Mac Jones' development. Thank you for your info. Enjoy your weekend. You enjoy your weekend as well. I'm looking forward to going to the game. And, and look, I don't want to make it sound like I'm being overly critical of the Pats. I love football. I love the Pats. I'm going to be at the game, but I'd watch every snap even no matter what. It just feels like this game hasn't been able to cut through the other stories in the way that every other Patriots game since I got here has. Like Patriots-Jaguars last year, which was supposed to be a layup, I felt like had more hype behind it than this one. I, and look, as for things, I want to see the texter wants to see Mac Jones' development. I want to see Mac Jones start fast. I think Mac Jones needs to start fast. And there's a very important reason why. I don't want a repeat of what happened in that Monday night game against the Bears. Because if it starts ugly, if it starts ugly for Mac, then he's going to get booed and the Bailey Zappi calls are going to come out again. I don't want to see that for the team. I don't want to see that for Mac's teammates. I don't want to see it for Mac personally. The quickest way to silence the critics and silence the boo birds is to come out fast on your scripted plays. You've got to be able to do it. If the Patriots come out against the Colts and go three and out twice in a row, there's going to be hell to pay. If Mac comes down and leaves them on a, on a nine-play, 75-yard drive, and they cash it in with a touchdown, then, then you will have built up some good faith and some good equity in that game. So I want to see Mac Jones start fast. And the other things I want to do is, can they score touchdowns? Because I have full faith that the defense can play well again, right? The defense is, is good in a lot of games, especially good against average to bad teams. So the defense is good-ish, and I think the defense will be excellent against a young quarterback who's making a second career start. I trust the defense will give you good field position, will force a turnover, and give you the ball at the Colts 37. You need to turn that into touchdowns. I don't want to see Sunday be the Nick Folk show. That's just not for me. Nick Folk is great. AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. They're lucky to have him. Bill Belichick called him almost a Hall of Famer this week. I'm happy for all of that. But I don't want to see him on Sunday. When I'm in attendance at Gillette Stadium, I want to see Mac Jones lead touchdown drives. I want to see drives get finished off. The defense gives you the ball at the Colts 46. Take it down their throats and put it in the end zone. They're one of the worst teams. They're 46% on red zone touchdown percentage. Guess what that is? 29th in the league. Cannot have that. If you want us to believe that you're good, if you want to get that buzz back from the fan base, then start to convert and control a game. Because, yeah, this game should be controlled. Right? The Lions game was a blowout. The Browns game was a blowout. This should be a blowout. Under these circumstances, the Colts have no business in your building competing. The Colts just lost to Taylor Heineke in Washington at home, and I think Washington is awful. The Patriots should win this game 27 to 6. They should win this game 33 to 6. They should win it 42 to 14. I want to see them control the game, and the way you do that is you score touchdowns. If you dominate play and only end up with field goals, then guess what we're going to be in? We're going to be in a 17-17 game in the third quarter. We're going to be at a 12-9 game in the fourth quarter, and I don't want that. I want to see you control a game like you're supposed to. Score, touchdowns, control the game, no Nick Folk, 
start fast. That's what I'm looking for. Those are my keys to the game, and the keys to Mac, start fast. There are other games on the schedule other than Patriots and Colts, and for that, we get our six-pack of NFL questions. All right, you know how we do this. Six-pack of NFL questions. We take you around the league. Big voice guy, question number one. The best game of the NFL weekend is... Best game of the NFL weekend. I can't believe I'm saying this, but it is my 5-3 and three Seahawks at the 3-5 and five Cardinals. And this is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, at 3-5, and five, the Cardinals, they're not dead because the NFC is so bad, but they're in last place. At 3-5, and five, the Cardinals are fighting for something big, okay? And they've got to have a sense of urgency. Cliff's King, Cliff Kingsbury is fighting for his job. They're fighting to not be in last place. They were the last unbeaten team in the NFL last year, and here they are in last place. That's unacceptable. They are at home against a division foe. They're 0-5 in their last five games against NFC West opponents. Cannot have that. Cannot be that way. So the Cardinals have real urgency, and there's going to be a great individual matchup with this game I want to watch too. Tariq Woolen is a name you need to know. He's at four interceptions for the Seahawks. He was a rookie fifth-round pick out of Texas San Antonio or Texas El Paso. He reminds everybody of Richard Sherman. He's even got the long dreadlocks to go with it. He's got four picks this season, might be defensive rookie of the year. He's going up against DeAndre Hopkins, and since Hopkins came back, from his suspension, he leads the league in receptions and receiving yards. So that's a great individual matchup. You have the Cardinals' sense of urgency. It's a divisional showdown. They're at home. And Seattle is 5-3 and three, trying to hold on to first place. And Geno Smith looks like an MVP candidate. I don't know, even me, that I fully buy into Seattle. I also fully can't quit Arizona. That, that is why this game to me is incredibly juicy. The Seahawks beat the Cardinals, whooped them up pretty good 19-9 to a couple of weeks ago. I don't know that that's repeatable this time. This game, to me, feels close. It feels uncertain. It feels like it's decided late. There's a great individual matchup, and both teams have something to prove. The Seahawks have to prove they're for real. The Cardinals have to prove that they weren't a fraud last year and that they're not completely dead. The game that intrigues us most is... Most intriguing game... Not even a question. Chargers, Falcons. Chargers, Falcons. This game has the potential, I think, to be incredibly wild. The Chargers just play wild games, right? They go for it on fourth down all the time. They have issues on special teams historically. They've got Justin Herbert, who's awesome. They have a bunch of injuries in this game. like So I don't know what to get from the Chargers. They play wild and fluky and funny games. Then you got the Falcons, who are 4-4, four and four, who won a game last week that they shouldn't have won when Carolina choked it away. The, the Falcons, supposed to be one of the worst teams in the league, are in first place. And by the way, here's a nugget for you. Share this one at your Friday night parties. This is the first time that Justin Herbert and Marcus Mariota are going to play each other. It's the second set of Oregon former starting quarterbacks to face off since 1950. We've never had, we've only ever had one Oregon against Oregon quarterback matchup. I can't think of many Oregon quarterbacks. Achilles Smith, Joey Harrington, Marcus Mariota, Justin Herbert. That's all I can think of. Dennis Dixon. I don't think he, he made it to the league, maybe with Baltimore. Didn't start, though, as I recall. So you got an Oregon on Oregon matchup. You got a team that plays funny games in, in the Chargers. You got a team that plays, you got a team that's in a position they're not supposed to be in in Atlanta. 
I just think this one could be absolutely wild. The Chargers are that West Coast, West Coast team going east. We know that that is always weird. The Chargers can't stop the run. The Falcons run it well. The Falcons can't stop the pass. The Chargers throw it well. This game just has a very interesting dynamic to it. I don't know if this game ends up 9-6 or 44-41, but this game is going to be interesting. The Chargers are in second place right now with their division. They need a win. The Falcons are trying to hold on miraculously to their first place spot in the NFC South. The bar rescue game of the week is... Bar Rescue Game of the Week, Worst Game of the Week, a.k.a. the one we'd rather watch Bar Rescue Marathon of than on the couch, hungover, than watch this game. If not for this one, this probably was Colts and uh, and Patriots. But instead, a hero has risen among us to keep the Patriots out of the Bar Rescue Game of the Week. Raiders at Jaguars. The Raiders are going 2,500 miles to Jacksonville. The Jags have two wins. The Raiders have two wins. The Raiders are coming off a shutout loss, the first time they've been shut out since 2014. The Jags are coming off playing in London, where they're now jet-lagged coming back from there. They lost that game late to Russell Wilson and company. The Jags had lost five straight. I mean, Josh McDaniels had a closed-door meeting already with, with Mark Davis. He issued an apology to the Raiders fans. All hell is broken loose in Vegas. And they shouldn't be this bad. They have Devontae Adams. They have Derek Carr. They have a good offensive mind in Josh McDaniels. They should not be two and five. They should not be two and five. They should not be getting blown out by Andy Dalton 24 nothing last week. But they were. And the Jags, they spent a lot of money in free agency. They got a new head coach in Doug Peterson, second-year quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. There should be improvements being made there. And instead, they've lost five consecutive games, and now they are two and six. And Trevor Lawrence is 5-20 and 20 as a starter in his career. I saw the Jags up close and personal last year. That was enough for me. I don't need to watch them on television. The player we want to watch most this week is... Yeah, Tom Brady. Tom Brady. The Buccaneers are playing a game against the Rams, the world champions. Both teams are struggling, right? Rams are under 500. Bucks are under 500. I want to see Tom Brady because I think he's going to come out surgical. I feel for him that he's gone through personal trauma, right? He's gone through personal health, that he's getting divorced. I feel for him. That I don't know what that's like. That certainly cannot be fun. That certainly had to weigh on him. And I guarantee you that the last couple of weeks, Tom Brady's been playing with this guilty conscience and this heavy heart. And I, look, I blame him for his marital problems. He brought this on himself. But that said, that doesn't mean it doesn't weigh on you. Now that it's resolved, now that it's public, now that it's out there, I think Tom Brady channels all of his focus into work. He doesn't have the marriage to deal with. He doesn't have Giselle to work on. He doesn't have to wonder when the next phone call is coming or what the next agreement is or who the next lawyer to call is. That's all done. So as a result, I think Tom Brady comes into this game incredibly focused, incredibly laser-like, and I think he plays well. He's still, even despite that, played well this season. He's already thrown for 2,300 yards. He's got nine touchdowns against just one pick. He's completed 66% of his passes. What really has been the issue around Tampa has been the guys around him, the injuries, the offensive line play. They can't run the football, only three yards per carry. So it isn't really Brady's fault why the Bucs are at three and five. But I think Brady comes out this week, and I think he lifts them. I don't know if they beat the Rams, but I think that at home, He's going to have a chance. I think he's going to carry this team like he hasn't carried the Bucs before.
I think you come out and you see angry Tom Brady and you see Tom Brady playing very, very well. Think about it. Last Thursday when they played, last Thursday when they played, he knew that just hours later he was going to put out the statement that he and Giselle were getting a divorce. So the last time we saw Tom, he was moody. He was unhappy. He's playing knowing that his personal life is crumbling around him. This week, that's settled to a degree. I think he goes out and plays very, very well. The player with the most pressure this week is? Yeah, the most pressure this week, that's Joe Burrow. We like Joey B. Joe's great. Got to the Super Bowl. That's awesome. He's under the most pressure this week. The, the Bengals had that inexcusable loss to the Browns on Monday Night Football. I mean, the Browns, which Kobe Brissett walloped the Bengals, the AFC champion Bengals, by 19 points. Joe Burrow, he's thrown for the most yards in the NFL this year. His team, though, also has allowed them the second most sacks in the NFL. Some of those are quarterback-driven. They're playing the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers are selling off their team for parts. Right? Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey, gone. They don't have Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold at quarterback. They're playing with a third stringer at quarterback. They're out. Both their running backs, McCaffrey's traded. Chuba Hubbard's out. So Deontay Foreman, who was in Tennessee last year, is the starting running back this week. The Panthers have nothing. They got Brian Burns and uh, Joe Horn's kid, the defensive back, J.C. Horn. And that's it. They got nothing. This should be a field day for the Bengals. If the Bengals are 4-4, four and four, you lose this, you're 4-5. and five. You got to prove you can move the football without Jamar Chase. Joe Burrow, th- this is a layup game. But it doesn't feel like it's going to be a layup because things right now for the Bengals are in a bit of disarray after what happened on Monday and with Chase's injury. The most amazing NFL stat of the weekend is? Most amazing NFL stat of the weekend. I would say this. uh, The Bears lead the NFL in rushing offense and have recorded 200-plus rushing yards in three consecutive games for the first time since 1968. I just think that is an incredibly cool stat because in an era where everybody just throws it around the yard, in an era where it's supposed to be all about speed and flash and finesse, here are the Bears playing old-school football. Now, they're not winning every game. They've still got just three wins on the year. But they're rushing for a a league best 188.4 rushing yards per game and three consecutive 200-yard outputs for the first time since 1968. We're talking for the first time in almost almost 60 years. A team that had Gale Sayers and a team that's had Walter Payton. Like, this hasn't been done since 1968, what the Bears are doing right now. And they've got uh, Herbert, they've got Montgomery, they've got Fields. And now they got Chase Claypool. They're, the Bears are building something, right? They're built. They traded away from the defense, but they are building a foundation offensively. See what happens. See what the Bears do. They're playing the Dolphins this week, and I think that's interesting, right? The Dolphins, I think, are going to win. The Dolphins, I think, at last I saw, they are the favorites. I saw one place they were five and a half, but I don't know if that's like an official, you know, Westgate Superbook line. But Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Tua Tagovailoa, like the Dolphins should win that game. But the Bears are doing some interesting things offensively, and they get Chase Claypool. I wouldn't be shocked if that game is close. The Bears are an intriguing team from here on out. couple of other uh, texts getting in here. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Brady, I agree with your assessment of Tom Brady, especially previously 
when you stated that children are the real losers in this divorce. Long uh, in this divorce, excuse me. Longtime Patriots fan, not a Brady hater. That is John in Moncton. So, John, thank you. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I feel bad for Tom and Giselle, right? Like a marriage ending is never fun. They're going to be just fine, right? They've got tons of money. They've got tons of success. They've got passions and they're good looking. They're going to find a new boyfriend and a new girlfriend tomorrow if they want it. So I don't, they're going to end up okay. The kids are the ones I feel bad for. As for football, I think football needs to be, I think football teams are on notice now because I think Tom Brady is about to be laser-like. I don't know if he gets enough help to fully save the Bucs, but the NFC is bad. The NFC South is bad. I still think the Bucs are going to win that division. And therefore, if they get into the playoffs, you've got angry Tom Brady, anything, anything can happen. I mean, the Bucs play the Seahawks in two weeks maybe it's three and i'm already i'm already nervous about that game because i know what brady's gonna be like uh tech says next year brady next year i'll go with you to the game we'll take a stretch limousine with you and jess to the pats game interesting although this texter has texted like a zillion times it has never once put their name on it so no name texter wants to take me on a stretch limousine. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. You got to put your name on it before I think about letting you uh, stretch limousine with me to Foxborough. You do that, then your people will call my people. So uh, there's your six pack of NFL questions. I still didn't have time for the full Jason Tatum discussion that I had, but Tatum the other day after the Celtics lost to the Cavaliers said basically, I've been to the NBA Finals. That's what I aspire to get to. I'm not worried about a game in November. Buddy, all the games count. Go ask the Red Sox, who were terrible in April, if the early season matters. It does. The Celtics want the number one seed in the playoffs. The Celtics want home court advantage. The Celtics want the easiest path back to the finals. That involves being able to win games early in the year. You've got to be able to win games early in the year. I, I understand you don't want to freak out because of a game on November 2nd or whatever. That That's fine. That's understandable. But just blowing it off, that doesn't work either. You only get, you only get 82 of these things you got to win as many as possible. And when you lose a game against the Cavs, you had a chance to win. I'd like to see a little bit, just a little bit more upsetness about it. Upsetness isn't a word. I'd like to see you a little more upset. Go download the podcast. The show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Vermont's premier truck driver training school. Norwich Hockey is next. The cadets taking on Johnson & Wales on your home for Norwich Hockey. WDEV AM and FM.